are continuing our study in this book of Matthew. The last two weeks were introduction, and we talked about the kingdoms. We talked about the king, and we talked about the fact that uh, Matthew emphasizes Jesus' role in this kingdom on this earth, okay, and how he would have taken the throne of David when he was first here, but he was rejected by the children of Israel. So he will be coming again, which is what we were just singing about, that he at some point will be uh, sitting on his throne in the city of David for eternity. Uh, And that's an amazing thought. Um, With that in mind, uh, we're going to go to the slides and kind of breaking this through. This is a pep talk kind of sermon. I like this one. Uh, Not so much uh, a lot of stuff we might have to personally adjust to, but I like when uh, God continuously foils the devil's plans and proves himself king, proves himself sovereign, lets us know that he's got a plan and he's always had a plan. And that's kind of one of the sermons this morning. Uh, So we're talking about Jesus being born a king. All right? He is born a king. And that is undeniable, especially when we look to some of the things today. Uh, Everything that's set up for his birth, down through the Old Testament we see, has a part in this kingdom issue. All right, and we'll be looking at that carefully today. So just a couple reminders uh, from last week. The theme of the Bible is the kingdom of God. All right, we talk about that. Many times it's brought to the idea that it's about salvation. No, salvation is how mankind gets back into the proper relationship with the king. All right? Before this world was ever created, there was a king and a kingdom. Okay? So everything about this creation, everything has always been about God, always about him and his sovereignty. He has created us because he wanted people to love and love him back. We have a problem called sin, and we had to have sin dealt with so that we can get re-established with our God in his kingdom, all right? But it's always been about a kingdom. Salvation is just the clause that's put in there so that you and I can be in the proper relationship with God in his kingdom. Now, just as a warning, and you can ask me about it later if you've heard of this, I'm not going to go ahead and preach it this morning, but there's something called kingdom theology. I'm not talking about that, okay? I'm just talking about there has been an eternal king who has been in his throne room forever, Okay, he is sovereign. It didn't just start the day he created Adam and Eve. Okay, he has always been. So that's the thing, that's the part we need to realize. Uh, key to rightly divide the word of truth is that David, uh, David, listen to me, um, Matthew understands that the kingdom exists in two parts. And we looked at that closely last week. We won't break it down all this week. But there is an eternal, everlasting kingdom, an eternal kingdom that God has been in from time past. Okay? He has always been on that throne, and we showed verses with that. There is also a kingdom, though, that is passed down, and we will talk about the throne of David okay? that is in Jerusalem. There is a physical, earthly kingdom that exists here on this planet in which we just sung about that Jesus someday will come back and he will sit on that throne okay? where there is a literal place here on this earth, on this physical earth. Okay, so there is a throne in heaven with an eternal kingdom that has always been, and then there is a throne here on this earth that God has promised. Okay, Matthew's focus is that throne here on earth, and he's trying to show the Jews through his writing that the king has come. 
Okay, and that's the point that we're talking about. That is where we're, the direction that Matthew goes. So, with that in mind, there they are. There is a spiritual, eternal, heavenly kingdom where God has always been on the throne, and Matthew calls that the kingdom of God. There is a physical, everlasting, earthly kingdom where God will again sit on the throne, and, God, and Matthew calls that the kingdom of heaven. You want more details about that? Get my notes from last week or go listen to the, the, the part there. We talked about that. I'm not going to re-preach it because we don't want to be here all three. All right. Today, we're going to talk about the battle for this earthly kingdom. All right. And just as a reminder, we're going to break this down from Old Testament on and talk about this kingdom that has been here on earth. Okay. Lucifer, before you and I were even created, was on this earth in a leadership position. Okay, so bear with me until he fell in sin and he blew it. So God had put him here on this planet where this physical earthly existence takes place and he was the head guy. All right, verse to go with that, just to remind us, to show us. Okay, Ezekiel. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. Sardis and topaz and diamond and beryl, onyx and jasper, sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle and gold. The workmanship of thy tabernacles and thy pipes was prepared uh, in thee before the day that thou wast created. So we're talking about Lucifer himself. Keep going. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mount of God, and hast walked up and down amidst the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in all thy ways from the day that thou wast created, till iniquity was found in thee. Okay? So it talks about he was in Eden. Okay? Where is Eden that we understand here on this planet? Okay? He was here as a part of that. Not going to get into a lot of background on that. We can talk about that another time. But I want us to understand that Satan had a position here in this physical earth. Okay? A long time ago, before he had even fall. Before, before, before he even fell in sin. You with me? It says that he, he was beautiful. He was, he was the anointed cherub that covereth. Okay? Until iniquity was found in him and we know the story you can go to uh isaiah chapter 14 and read about his uh, five i am or i will that he said i'm going to rise above god i'm going to establish my throne that pride got in him and god says well now you are cast down to the sides of the pit okay so satan at some point i'll call make the transition from lucifer that light bearer which is what his name means okay to satan okay because he fell next slide so, God created man and put him in Eden. Okay, in Genesis chapter 2, 15, the Lord took man and put him in the garden of Eden and dressed it and keep, uh, to keep it. God created man in his own image, in his own likeness. Uh, in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Male and female created he them. I'm not going to go any further than that in our weird world today. But God recognizes two. Okay, keep going. And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living creature 
uh, or living thing that moveth upon the earth. So God creates man and gives man the command to be fruitful, multiply, replenish, and subdue and have dominion. So God gives man authority over this physical creation. You with me so far? Okay, Lucifer was there, light bearer. Okay, God had set him in a position. Okay, he was here in Eden till he fell. God creates man. Says, I'm going to put you in the garden. I'm going to give you dominion and authority. Okay, keep going. It's no wonder. You wonder why Satan hates us so bad? And those of us who studied the book of Job together just recently when we got done, you know what the whole book of Job is about? You know, say, oh, poor Job's suffering. That's true, but you want to know why he suffered? Because Satan came to God at one point and said, you kicked me out because of my sin. Now look at all these humans. They're no better than I am. And Dan referenced it, and we'll reference it here again. Remember where God said the entire world was corrupt, but Noah found great? Well, he does the same thing with Job. Satan says, comes up before God, and he's accusing the people here, saying, ah, these human beings, you kicked me out because of my sin, and now look at all them. You can't find a good one of them, can you? And God says, have you considered my servant Job? God's the one who brought up Job's name. And Satan says, well, yeah, that's only because you're being good to him. Let me have Adam and he'll deny you. And the entire book is about the attack of Satan on Job to try to cause him to deny God. And all the bantering that goes back and forth and all the facts that God gives about his creation and all everything that stands up, God is trying to remind him that there is an enemy that hates you. Okay, and all the tribulations, the tribulation that Job has, the tribulation that it pictures in the tribulation period to come, even the tribulation of Christ on the cross is all pictured because the devil hates us. He was the big guy in charge. He blew it. God gave it to Adam, gave it to man. And Satan said, ooh, you don't know who you're messing with. But we got a problem. But man lost his position as well because of sin. Satan lost his because of sin. We lost ours because of sin. And all of this creation was cursed. Now we've set the tone. I want you to understand that there's this terrible angst between the devil and humanity because, I mean, Satan just hates the fact that God gave us a chance. He also hates the fact that even though we lost our position because of sin, God designed an eternal plan to fix our sin problem. And we get a chance to be in the kingdom of God for eternity. The devil hates that. Okay, you with me so far? Because a battle begins to ensue. All right, next slide. Then God reveals his spiritual plan. Okay, Genesis 3.15, one of the best verses you can find in the very beginning in the story of Genesis is God promises a Savior. Right? He said, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Okay, 
technical term for this. This is the Proto-Evangelium. Okay, that's Latin for meaning the first gospel. This is the first promise that God would send a Savior, send a Messiah, send the Christ. Okay, and he would bruise thy head, and you'll bruise his heel. Okay, God says, I gotta, yeah, there's, there's a sin problem, and you've fallen, but you know what? I'm going to take care of that. But there's one phrase I want you to see here that's very important as we understand what we're going to look at this morning. The Bible says, her seed. Keep that in mind, please, because that's what we're about to talk about. Remember we talked that the title of this sermon this morning is Born a King. And God right here promises, right after the fall, right after God, curses the serpent, curses Adam, curses a woman, curses the ground. He says, I'm making a promise, though. I'm going to give you the first gospel. There's one coming of her seed. All right, keep that in mind. It's so important to tie all these pieces together. All right, the battle over the seed. Eve is promised that her seed would rule, that Christ would come, that he would take care of the problem that Satan was trying to cause. He hates mankind. He wants to corrupt it. He did it with Adam and Eve got them to fall in sin, and Satan says, yeah. I mean, God says, yeah, but there's one coming of her seed. So, Satan begins the battle. Who was the first seed of Adam and Eve? Cain and Abel. Now, I don't blame the devil. If you're going to talk about, hey, one of your children, one of your seed is going to defeat me, well, what does Satan do? He goes right after the kids okay Cain and Abel you know the story I don't think I have to uh, review it and read the whole story but Cain winds up killing his brother Abel oh Satan's going <laughs> her seed huh well we just took care of her seed didn't we okay one of them's dead the other one's cursed well I guess uh, her seed's not going to be doing anything is it okay keep that in mind because this battle this is just the beginning Okay, God gives another seed. Satan loses. And look at the way that he puts this. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare him a son and called his name Seth. For God, said she, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel who came slew. He doesn't say another son, the scripture is very clear to say that he gave another seed. Oh, Satan, you wanted to mess up the boys? You got one to kill the other? Oh, problem solved? God says, nope. He says, we'll just put another seed in the mix. Okay, you with me? So, But you guys know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about seed, right? Okay, in the scripture, it is basically, for human sake, besides plants, it's three ways. The seed, okay, is your offspring, Okay, the seed is also part of the reproductive uh, cycle. Okay, that's the seed, all right, that we're talking about. This seed, it is offspring, it is procreation. With me? Everybody nod. I don't want to get too more, more into detail about that. All right, so he says he gave me another seed. Oops, Satan's plan to mess up the kids didn't work. Keep going. The battle continues. The entire earth is corrupt in God's eyes. You want to go read this passage in Genesis chapter 6? You can see it. God 
it is, he's sick and tired of it. Okay? They are doing anything and everything they want, and there's no boundaries. Genesis said, God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination and the thoughts of his heart were evil continually. Next slide, verse 6. And it, and it repented God, the Lord that he had made man on the earth and grieved him at his heart. But what we just referenced a couple minutes ago, God looks down and said, this earth is absolutely a disaster. He, it, it repented me. God saying, I just wish I never did this. Look at all these clowns. Okay, that's a direct quote. Okay, ha ha, it's a joke. Um, but God looks down and he says, but, have, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah, okay. God looks down and says, there's one here. There is one here still. So what does God do? God floods the entire earth and wipes out everybody except for Noah and his family. The seed continues. Okay, keep that in mind. All right, go on. Abraham is chosen to carry on the seed. Now, I know we're jumping through history, and there's some more little minute points we can put in here, but we're specifically tracing this seed. So God calls Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees and says, listen, I want you to be separate. I'm choosing you out, all right? I'm going to make a family out of you down through your son Isaac. I'm going to make a, an Israel. I'm going to make a nation out of you. We're going to protect the seed, all right? Because look what he says. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. And the book of Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 starts out with the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. All right, now please remember, just as a, a point of study in the scripture, one of these rules of Bible study, is a son or a father relationship isn't like we use it where it's directly your father or your son. Okay, uh, my great-great-great-great-grandfather, I could, in biblical terms, refer to as my father. Okay, how many of you have heard that song, Father Abraham and my son? Okay, he's still called Father Abraham, even though he's not that directly their father, he might be their great-great-great-great-great-great ancestor. Fathers and sons in the scripture, if you are in that line, okay, that's why this is used. So Jesus was not directly a son of David. There were many generations before that. All right. As a matter of fact, in the book, uh, in, if you read Matthew chapter 1, it says there's 14 generations between Abraham and David. David, go on. So, all right, keep going. But the battle rages on. Judah, one of the sons of Israel, and there's a whole story behind it in which there was supposed to be an heir brought forth, and there was not specifically what was supposed to be happening wasn't happening. So Tamar, Judah's daughter-in-law, pretends to be a prostitute. She dresses, she takes her all her mourning clothes off because her husband has died, puts on clothing to present herself as a prostitute. I don't know if I should put a commercial in here or not. Yeah, maybe I should put a commercial here or not. There was a point in the story where you knew she was a prostitute by the way she dressed. 
Doesn't that mean the way you dress sometimes present yourself to people is in certain thought? In this culture today, I'm just saying it, in this culture today, it's I can dress however I want and it shouldn't make you think anything about me. Hmm. Interestingly enough, she dressed in a way that she looked like a prostitute. Anyway, commercial. Um, She dresses like a harlot and gets pregnant from her father-in-law. Okay, hold that thought because we're going to come back to this in the very end, all right? Sordid stories. You want to know why uh, the Bible, I believe, one of the reasons the Bible is true is because if it was man's idea of God and the story of God, you would have wrote everything that was perfect and clean and wonderful. Why would you put stories in about a daughter-in-law who tricks her father-in-law into having relationship with her by playing a prostitute. There's a lot of real life stories in the Bible that present that God works with real people. Okay? So, Genesis 38, you can read it. She bears illegitimate twin, twin sons, Perez and Zerah. Okay? So, now, if you look to Matthew chapter 1, we'll just take a, a quick look over here. Verse 3 says, and Judas begot Perez and Zerah of Thamar. In the line of Jesus Christ are these two children. Well, one, Perez. The illegitimate son of a woman who got her father-in-law to get her pregnant. Okay, the line of Jesus Christ is full of real people with real problems. Hold on to that thought, all right? Anyway, Satan says, <laughs> boy, I got him now. The seed that's supposed to be so important that it's going to be past her seed. Okay, now I've messed it up. I've got the daughter-in-law to do this terrible thing with her father-in-law. Now there's a kid. What, what are you going to do, God? <laughs> I win again. Well, God does something interesting in, uh, oh, I put this in here. Please remember where Jesus claims to be from he is called the lion of the tribe of judah his heritage from judah his heritage through Perez, the illegitimate son of this relationship okay and it promises the scepter shall not depart out of judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet till shiloh come when jesus comes again and unto him shall be the gathering of the people be so we got a problem don't we it's supposed to come through Judah. Perez is an illegitimate son. Satan cancels out the seed. Not yet. Keep going. Ten generations. You wonder why all these genealogies and funny rules are in the Bible. God's got a reason for every single one of them. Look at this. A bastard, you know what that is, right? An illegitimate son. Okay? shall not enter in the congregation of the Lord, even to the tenth generation shall he not enter into the congregation of the Lord. So God says, yeah, Satan, though, I made a rule about this in the law, you remember? It says, if there is an illegitimate son, ten generations, that problem dissolves. Okay, now, bear with me, I... I I got the hair on the back of my neck standing up because I love the way God works things out. 
Okay, so Satan says, <laughs> look what I did uh, to the seed. I just messed it all up. And God says, yeah, well, it's messed up for 10 generations. Well, guess what happens? So, who's 10 generations from Pharez? How many of you ever read the book of Ruth? Right? Ruth is a great story. All the stuff that's in there. And then you get to the last chapter of Ruth and you go, more genealogies. Thanks, God. This book was awesome until now. But look at this. Ready? Ready? Pharez begets Hezron. Hezron begets Ram. Ram begets Aminadab. Aminadab begets Nashon. Nashon begets Salmon. Next slide. Salmon begets Boaz. Boaz begets Obed. Obed begets Jesse. Jesse begets David, the 10th generation. And God establishes a throne. The seed is still active. God's plan is working. You see how this is so cool? Satan says, I'm going to mess this up by causing an illegitimate son. And God says, oh, got this worked out. Now, you ever wonder, and this is going to be on the slide behind me, you ever wonder why God is called the man after, uh, David's called the man after God's own heart? It's not because David had a heart for God. Okay, we missed that. It, he was after God's own heart. God was the one who had set David apart. Now, you remember the story, right? The children of Israel looked around at the nations around them and said, we want a king. And God says, no, not yet. And God says, the people said, no, no, we want a king. You know, here's Saul, Saul, we're going to make Saul king. Okay, the problem is God had a king chosen. The king was David. But God had to wait 10 generations for the problem with Perez. Okay, the problem with an illegitimate child. God waited 10 full generations so he could put David on the throne. You see how awesome God is? God had a plan. He's like, no, no, this is going to be called the throne of David, not the throne of Saul. I've got somebody in place, in the seed, in the line. I'm just waiting to the 10th generation to take care of it. God had always had a plan. Satan loses again. Don't you love it? Told you this is a pep talk. I love it. The devil tries to scramble the eggs, and God's always like one thousand steps ahead so now jesus the son of david the son of abraham all right keep going god told them okay the battle intensified and this dan taught this a few years back and man it got me excited back then and when you you can't get away from this amazing thing so Kaniah, the last king There have been sordid kings, good ones, bad ones, down through. And guys, in Daniel, we're going to be looking at some of these kings and how they play into the situation. And Man, God uh, deals with some pretty rough characters. But when we get to Kaniah, this man Kaniah, a despised broken idol, he is a vessel wherein no, is no pleasure. Wherefore are they cast out and his seed, and are cast into the land which they knew not. Keep going. O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus, thus saith the Lord, write this man childless, a man that shall not prosper in his days. Now catch this. 
for no man of his seed shall prosper sitting upon the throne of David and ruling anymore in Judah. Satan's got him now, doesn't he? Look at the next slide. (laughs) Satan finally found a way. Here's this king in Judah, Kaniah, and he's so bad that God says, you know what? He won't have a child, and from this day forward, there will be no one from his seed that ever sits on the throne. (laughs) How is there going to be one who takes the throne of David? How can there be born a king that Matthew is presenting when there will be nobody from his line, Kaniah's line, to ever sit on the throne again through his seed? Sounds like Satan finally got the upper hand, right? But wait, I told you, I love this. This is awesome to me. This is like a Daniel Steele novel or something, you know, just when you think everything's... Have we forgotten about her seed? In the scripture, the seed is passed down from the father to the son and so on. All through the scripture, when a seed is discussed, it is passed on from father to children, from son, the son to the next generations. It is passed on through the man. Please don't make me get into the physical details of that, but that's what one of the definitions of the seed in the scriptures is. Okay? It is a male action that taken. We are all born in sin because we are of the seed of our father. Our sin nature is passed on by our father to us. Okay, that is why when you look back and God says, let us create man in our image and our likeness. If you go to chapter 4 of Genesis, it says, and Adam made, had sons and daughters in his own image and his likeness. Because the seed was cursed. Everyone from that point on is no longer in the image of God. We're in the image of our father, Adam. With me so far? Stay with me, please, because this is so awesome. But God says something neat here, something that you don't find in the rest of the scripture outside of this line of the seed. He says, her seed. Now that's peculiar. He's told Adam that, uh, with Eve, that her seed would be the first gospel. The seed doesn't go, come from the woman except for Messiah and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is where it gets awesome in Matthew. The genealogy of Matthew traces the royal line through Joseph, Jesus' legal father. Okay, so there are two genealogies in the New Testament Matthew, which is the one we're, gonna, we're looking at. Go home and read it. I say that just because you can have fun pronouncing all those names. Okay. He says, let me tell you who Jesus is because he's in the line of Joseph. Okay. Joseph is in the royal line of David. But the royal line of David was canceled at Kaniah, right? So no one from his Kaniah seed will ever sit on the throne. But you please remember, this is why this is so important. Jesus is not Joseph's seed. This, again, it gives me goosebumps. The genealogy, oh, yeah, Matthew is presenting the king. However, Joseph is not Jesus' biological father. 
Okay? The seed of Kaniah doesn't apply here because Joseph is not involved in this relationship. Look on. The genealogy in Luke traces the seed through Mary. When you read the, the Luke passage, it goes on and talks about who Mary's genealogy is, and she is also in the royal line. But there is no man involved in passing on the seed. So number one, Jesus is not disqualified because of Kaniah, and Jesus is not disqualified because the sin nature is passed down from the father to the children. Mary, her seed, Through her seed, she has the physical line of Abraham, Judah, and David. Now again, I, I look, look, Satan loses again. As many times as he tried to mess this up, as many times as he tried to get in there and scramble all the things, and we didn't even deal with some of the other aspects that he puts in there, like Rahab the harlot and some of these other folks. God still always has a plan, and he's always working his plan. Now, this is, the, uh, this is just so cool. Number one, the virgin birth is absolutely necessary. Without a virgin birth, you have the seed and the sin nature being passed on to Jesus, and Jesus was without sin. But the virgin birth is also cool in the fact that no other couple on this planet could have fulfilled the requirements for Jesus to be born a king. They were both in the royal line. And they both wind up coming together. I heard, a, do yourself a big favor, unless you're really ready to get frustrated, don't listen to some of the preachers on, on your phone. Or uh, I saw some moron the other day saying that, who knows, the angel Gabriel could have come to, husband, uh, to dozens of women before he settled on Mary. No, there was only one couple that could have qualified for this. Because Joseph had the legal royal line, Mary had the royal birth line, and they were able to come together, virgin-born, so Jesus didn't have a sin nature, but royal-born because of Joseph, but the seed of Kaniah was not passed on and violating Scripture. It was the perfect solution to an impossible problem. And God had it all worked out. I don't know about you, but that just reminds me how awesome my God is. So when you go ahead and begin to read through this book of, Gen uh, book of Matthew and start going, oh, genealogies, why, Lord? Remember, there's a very good reason why. Because no other couple and no other scenario would have completed the picture of Scripture, took care of all the violations that Satan threw in the way, and produced the King of Kings. Jesus, the rightful King of Israel and the throne of David. Awesome. Awesome. Now, keep going. Never doubt God's plan. Just a note. Now all that is just, I told you, it's a pep talk. We're going to talk about how awesome our God is, how bad the devil is, and how he wants to mess things up, but God's always 10,000 steps ahead, and he's always got it covered. But for you and I, and when I read through this personally, how many of you have 
a family that's kind of messed up. I do. How many of you have broken households and folks in your family that maybe have done things against the law, morally wrong, terrible, awful things, rape, incest, sin, prostitution, When we look through this genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ, there are all kinds of sordid people in that. In Jesus' very line are several prostitutes, or one prostitute and one daughter-in-law who pretended to be a prostitute, who got herself pregnant with her father-in-law. Know what that reminds me? That God uses real people. When, uh, when we look at the Gospels and we start preparing for this and you take a look at the disciples in general, the disciples weren't uh, your uh, high-end religious leaders. They were just everyday regular folks. Fishermen, tax collectors, sons of thunder, maybe some hot-tempered boys. God uses real people. So you know one of the things that happens with us as Christians, and the devil is good at it, the devil will come up and whisper in your ear and say, you're not good enough. You're broken. Look at your life. You're a mess. And because of that, sometimes we disqualify ourselves for doing great things for God because we think we don't deserve it. Well, you're right, we don't. You want to know who else is in the uh, genealogy of Jesus? Rahab, not Rahab, excuse me. Why did my brain just go blank? David killed Uriah, the wife of Bathsheba. That whole sordid story. It's amazing to me that it's called the throne of David for the rest of eternity, yet David wasn't perfect either. You and I, if we're willing to be used by God, he can take a life that's kind of messed up here and there and still use it for very great purposes. Don't let the devil. Remember, guys, one of the amazing teachings that we try to remind one another, and this is one of the, I don't want to say mantra because it's not like that in my brain, but one of the things I remind myself often is there's a big difference between guilt and conviction. Guilt is the devil trying to tell you you'll never be good enough. You're a failure. Don't even try. Conviction is God trying to tell you, yes, you can do it. I can help you. Your sins are forgiven. You can be better than you're being. And the amazing part about this story for me, besides how God works out every piece that he wants to because he's got a plan, is that God can take broken, messed up, absolutely horrific situations and use it for his glory. Where are you in your life? Is things a mess? Do you consider yourself outside of being used of God? 
I've run into people before who have said, oh, I'm such a terrible person, God could never save me. Well, you know, sometimes that translates into the Christian walk where we say, all right, God saved me and forgave me my sins, but I'm such a miserable person, God will never use me. God's always willing. The question is, are we willing? Are we ready to be used of God? He wants to work an amazing plan in your life. What is it? I wish I could tell you. Could I tell you that, man, even though you mess up terribly, your life is going to result in the exact situation and where Messiah is brought into this world in the perfect plan that God designed? Can't tell you that. But do I believe that if we would let God use us, he's got something amazing that you and I can do and we we'll may never see? Hey, David wasn't alive when Kaniah messed up and didn't realize, and where Joseph and Mary, all, he just followed the Lord and God worked out this perfect plan. Don't let Satan disqualify us in our own minds because we think we'll never do it because we're not worthy enough. You're right, we're not. Only he is worthy. But if we would be willing to be used, amazing things can happen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, man, if I want to get excited sometimes, this is a a story that I just love to remind myself. That no matter what the devil planned, whether it was trying to mess up the seed back with Cain and Abel, Lord, whether it was the flood, whether it was, uh, you know, Joseph, whether it was David, whether it was Kaniah, Lord, no matter what the devil tried to throw in the path to disrupt your plan, he loses. You are sovereign, almighty God, and you will work things out. You are always ahead. And so I thank you for that, that our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ Messiah presented here in this book of Matthew as we're studying it is the king but father I'm also thankful that I know I ain't perfect never pretend to be I've got issues in my life that are dreadful in the past and Lord one things that I still struggle with and Lord I know the enemy wants to put in my mind that I just can't do it won't be good enough. Father, you're right. I won't be good enough. Only you are. But Father, you promised that, Lord, if we would live for you, Lord, there, that passage that says where you spoke, Jesus said, greater things than these we'll do. Do we really believe that? That if we would surrender and be used by God, he can take a any of our lives which are messed up and do amazing things through them. Father, I thank you for that. I thank you that it's not in my strength, my power, my knowledge. It is always about you, not by might, not by power, but by thy spirit. Father, thank you for the privilege of being a part of this long line of history of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we get to see people today born again into this family having that spiritual seed what a privilege what an amazing life father as we head out those of us are going to go right now or stay and have some lunch but lord we go out into this world 
we can live this amazing story that we are a part of. And Father, we look forward. We sang the song. You're coming again. Father, maybe morning, maybe noon, maybe evening, maybe soon. Lord, until then, we have a job to do. Present our Jesus, our Savior, our King. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.